The first lesson is from the book of the prophet Isaiah. It's printed in your bulletin announcements should you like to follow along or simply close your eyes as Pastor Ellen liked to invite us as we listen to these ancient words. In preparation to hear them, let us pray. God of light and mystery and wonder, as we read and listen these ancient words, we pray that your spirit would open them in such a way that we might hear something new, we might hear a word for us this day. We make this prayer in the power of your many names. Amen. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit within him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street, a bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice on the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says the Holy One who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it, and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Holy One. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you, as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open up the eyes that are blind, to bring out of the prisoners from the, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, and from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the third chapter. And if you'd like to follow along, it's also printed in the middle of your bulletin insert. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way, to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Here ends our reading. quite an auspicious beginning. As he came up from the waters, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. It's likely a story that carried a response to those who might have balked that Jesus was truly the long-awaited anointed one. 
a response to those who had a different image of what it was to be royal. But it's also a story of one of those moments when the seen and the unseen come together. As the Israelites making their journey into freedom through the sea, Jesus' baptism recalls those moments when we have, quote, entered the water as one thing and have emerged as something different. With the bonds loosed, freed of fear. With the staying power of great images, living water, the heavens opening, a dove descending, a voice proclaiming, we are entrusted with a story with symbolic weight to return to, to reinterpret throughout our life, to find reassurance in when the blessing is not so palpable anymore. It's a story that beckons us to remember an internal anointing, along with those to whom Isaiah speaks, and with that blessing to recall our charge as a people of God, to be a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Living in this place, California, the Bay, I have always felt like a visitor. It's other people's home. I am someone who came here and who isn't really a legitimate resident. That's how I felt. I've been impressed with those of you who are also transplants that don't feel that way. <laughs> Following last week's storm, driving on my way to the church up 19th Avenue once more, I began to appreciate that this road is ever-changing. With the rain, it is cleansed of debris, and its potholes and cracks are expanding. At some point, all of the asphalt will have been replaced, just like a river, as the Buddhists have taught us. It is never the same. And I am part of its history. I am part of this place's story. I am not just here an observer. My being here, your being here, is part of this place's story. My time here matters. Your time here matters. I wonder if sometimes our inactivity is about an assumption that we don't really have a right or a role. But what if the heavens parted and a dove descended and you heard a voice clear that you were not just a passer-by. As a group of women from the church gathered last week around a table of images, and I saw a picture of birds in flight. You all will remember this. I was reminded of being in Mongolia nearly 10 years ago as a student of religion. After newly arriving in the capital, I became sick with a cold, so I was taken to a city shaman. Perhaps not dissimilar from the scene on the Jordan, 
there was some inner turmoil about whether it was really appropriate that I seek the shaman's healing. And there was great anticipation leading up to the event. I was driven to a hillside just off a highway to a spot marked by remnants of ceremonies held before. Blue and white prayer scarves tied to trees and caught in the brush. Stepping out of the van, the shaman's children led me across the uneven ground, laid out a rug, and had me wait as the shaman got out his drum, donned his robe, and began praying. His children brought me forward and knelt me down. The sounds of the drumming and the energy of his dancing enveloped me. Then the drumming stopped. A bird crowed, lifting my eyes to the heaven. And out of the stillness, the shaman spoke. Your pathways are clear. I have returned to this scene and to different parts of what the shaman had said to me many times before. And it strikes me just now that this phrase, your pathways are clear, could have been about my air pathway pathways, <laughs> which would have been appropriate. But my cold did not go away. This week, that line, it has been a prayer about my ordination, that my pathways on this final stretch might be clear. They say that you might think you are coming for one kind of healing when you go to the shaman, but will leave with a healing of a different kind. In that moment on that day, it was like the heavens opening up and hearing from the force beyond all forces saying, I was going to be okay. And when I arose, I emerged different. Like a king, bonds loosed, freed of fear, nothing keeping me back. The people of Mongolia imagined the land around them as living imbued with ancestral spirits. So traveling across the steppes, you are not just observing a hill, the sky, the birds, the lakes. You are being observed back. You, your life, in the midst of this vast landscape, does not go unnoticed. And you, you are part of the unfolding story. With that comes great blessing, connection, and great responsibility. And perhaps it's because of Mongolia's living landscape that made me imagine the life of the road of 19th Avenue, the life of this city, this place, and my relationship to it. If we are to take seriously our baptism, our anointing, our call, how are we to show up here, now? 
What if we are the prophet, the great mind, the teacher, the advocate, the presence of peace to faithfully work toward justice and freedom that we wished for? What if we are the captives to be set free? In the powerful and disturbing movie, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the lines are blurred between captive and captor, healthfulness and harm, sanity and psychosis. McMurphy, played by Jack Nicholson, is an unlikely candidate to give sight to the blind, a convict sent to an asylum to be evaluated and suspected of conning his way there to get out of jail time. While there, he befriends his fellow admits and doesn't treat them like patients, but like human beings. In his attempt to treat them as equal, he encourages them not to be victims, but to come alive and to live free, or at least to try. Upon discovering that the hospital could choose to keep him there indefinitely, and that most of the other admits are there voluntarily, he becomes flustered. While they complain about being there, they don't even try to leave. He yells out, what do you think you are, crazy or something? And the scales begin to fall. McMurphy is a man of action. He takes the men beyond the walls, beyond what they thought they could do. He sneaks them onto a fishing boat and helps them to discover that they can steer and they can fish. He gets them to play basketball and utilizing their strengths to play it well. He teaches them to play cards so by the end they actually know what they're doing. He challenges them to believe they are bigger than what those in power tell them they are, that they can do the impossible, they can be the mountain, they can loose the bonds, be freed of fear. Their pathways are clear. We are not only acted upon by history. We are not only observers. We are part of the unfolding story. How can we move from awareness and into action? Can we be curious, inspired, willing to hold that we are the beloved? with a call to be a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. May it be so.